Welcome to Is It Bedtime Yet? The podcast for parents about mental health and the experience of being a parent. The podcast that discusses what it's like to be adults raising tiny humans that make us all ask, is it bedtime yet? I'm Dr. Jen Samstag, licensed clinical psychologist in LA, and I have an almost two-year-old daughter. And I'm Dr. Serene Boyadran, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have two boys ages three and five. And today, we are going to be talking about stuff. I know I have a lot of stuff. What about you, Serene? I have a ton of stuff. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about our relationship with stuff and how being a parent impacts your relationship with stuff. And how much more stuff you collect once you're a parent. God, right? So much stuff. Mm -hmm. And today, we have a guest with us, Tanya Stone, who's the owner of SOS Interiors, And she's a professional organizer and interior stylist. So welcome, Tanya. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, even when Tanya walked in, I was, I mean, we record this podcast in my office. And as she walked in, I was like, oh, God, there's an interior stylist walking into my (laughs) office. And we record the podcast on the floor with pillows all over the place to help with the sound. And so... uh, I was a little bit intimidated having Tanya walk in here. Um, You shouldn't be because without you guys, I wouldn't have a job. (laughs) (laughs) Without without people like you, I wouldn't have to do anything. (laughs) I promise usually my office isn't covered with pillows and all over the floor and stuff. I don't don't judge when I walk in somewhere because life happens and... I have kids too, and I know how it gets. Totally. And that's what I was going to say is I imagine that, uh, especially like with clients you see and stuff, um, it's probably different for people who have kids versus people who don't have kids. Yeah, I think so. I think that, I think judgment goes out the window, whereas maybe I will judge you if you don't, no, I'm just kidding. I won't, I won't necessarily judge you if you don't have kids, but it just all depends. Well, so let's start talking about people's relationship with stuff. So... From your experience, um, do you think people's perspectives and feelings about having things changes after having kids? I definitely think it changes, and and I've seen two different things happen. Uh, We already live in a a world where you have that constant urge to buy, Um, and then the second you get pregnant, and I'm sure you guys can Uh relate, that magnifies by a thousand. You you need this to keep your kid alive. You need this to help your kid sleep. You need this for their emotional well-being. Like right. the list goes on and on. And then I've noticed that nine out of ten parents will eventually snap because they're being um, just they're drowning in stuff that they realize that their kids don't really need. Right. Um, But you still, you know, the first-time parent, you still feel like you need to experience that for yourself. You need to get it. You need to make sure that that's not going to make your kid the smartest kid in the, uh, you know, world. So so eventually they snap, and I usually get calls around that time because they don't know where to begin. Um, And then I I also think that it changes because you, as cliche as this may sound, uh, you kind of realize what truly matters. I know cliche, but you really don't need stuff. You kind of put that that attachment onto your kids, and at least they give you something back as opposed right. to the stuff that you have. Yeah. 
I, I imagine, at least in the beginning, some of that, because um, you talked about that people feel this pressure to buy all the best stuff for their kids, and and I think that's just kind of the beginning of it, but I think down the road that people, and I mean, you tell me if this is something that you've experienced, but that people start to develop, like, sentimental attachment to their kids' stuff, like, whether it be, like, their, their baby clothes, or the first paintings that they make, or, like, their stuff that they make at school. Do you ever see that kind of stuff oh, happening? Oh, absolutely, especially when parents realize that they're, they're done having kids. Uh, they have a really hard time of letting go. Um, it's hard for me too, being a professional organizer and trying to be as minimal as possible. Uh, I I have a hard time putting the clothes away or handing them to people, but um, you realize that you know there's ways to kind of keep that attachment without accumulating and keeping all the stuff that you have when you have kids. The examples you gave each pointed out a transition, whether a mom is pregnant and she's being told she needs all these things or whether they're decided that the the couple has decided that they're done having kids then they call you because now there's all this stuff they need to organize and get rid of um do you feel like that's challenging because you're also going to have to help this person or this couple go through a huge phase of their life and transition to like a new start almost absolutely I I honestly didn't realize till I started this business I mean it's it's easy to do the job, but till I started and actually worked with real people, I didn't realize um, how sensitive things can be. And um, you kind of, you know, like hairdressers and stuff, end up being a therapist, like yeah. without realizing yeah. you are one, you know? Um, and it just kind of guiding them and like making them realize uh, what's important and just getting rid of the stuff doesn't mean you're going to get rid of those memories. Um, and then if it's something that they really cannot part with I'll try to figure out a way to either store it or display it that doesn't cause or cause more stuff to accumulate in a pile or in storage or you know stuff like that I like that I think one of the articles that you sent me Serene talked a little bit about people's uh, emotional attachment to some of their stuff especially as it relates to kids Mm -hmm. and it one of the suggestions it provided was taking a picture of some of the sentimental stuff so that you have this picture that lasts forever that you can go back and reference to and look at. And I think it's that same idea that you were talking about, Tanya, of having a way to like display it or remember it without it accumulating as clutter in your house. Yeah, they were saying that people separated from the item easier if they had the opportunity to take a picture of the item and save it. That's right. And it was easier for them to let the item go rather than just letting the item go without a memory of it or a visual memory of it kind of lingering on. Yeah, absolutely. Just finding a a different solution. And um, one of the things that I kind of feel bad is uh, (laughs) with my kids, I, you know, when they start preschool, they come home every day with a drawing and they're so proud of what they do, art, whatever. And like this scratches on the paper. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Scribble. Right. (laughs) Look what I made you. Um, I started keeping the best ones. And then the ones that are mediocre or like she's so proud of, I ended up taking pictures of it. And then at the end of the school year, when I make her an album, I just include it in the album. Like the Shutterfly album. Yeah, that's and smart. That's really, I was going to ask you, as somebody who doesn't have a school-age child yet, that's something I already have anxiety about is I know I'm going to want to be able to sh- save all of these things that she makes at school or um, feeling badly about throwing it away even if I don't want to keep it. But I, that's such a smart idea of a way to, to solve that problem. Yeah, there's always there's always a solution well, to clutter. <laughs> The funny thing is my my kids now want to give me flowers and we have this like weed plant growing in the front yard and they pick one every time they come in and they say cute things like a lovely flower. 
flower for a lovely lady <laughs> and so they'll cute. give it to me and it's like it has no stem it's like already dead um the petals are falling yes <laughs> there's like two petals on it and they want me to like put it in water and I tell them like oh flowers that don't have stems you can't put it in water but they want me to save it so now I have this like gross disgusting collection of like dried weeds yeah what do I do with that <laughs> This is why you're well, actually here first. to tell me what to do with the weeds that I'm collecting. That's a first. Um, <laughs> do they notice that it's there? Yes. Oh, they pay yes. attention. It's really gross. Well, you can get, I mean, I wouldn't keep all of them. You just have to, I try to be as honest with my kid as possible. Um, but there's like really cute acrylic things that you can put flowers in and they'll dry and stay pretty. Maybe something like that. Like jewelry or something where you make an account. Eventually, the best part, it's hard to remember, but eventually they're not going to care. Yeah. So sometimes it's just patience. And sometimes it's, uh, I mean, this might might not be the best parenting advice and you guys can tell me uh, if I'm going to psychologically ruin my kid. (laughs) Oops, something happened to it. better than what I was gonna say which is you could just go buy yourself some nice flowers and replace the jar with the nice flowers and just tell them that overnight they just grew into these beautiful amazing <laughs> oh, flowers you, that's a good idea you replant them outside oh yeah and see what happens and then you could also just kind of sprinkle some wildflower seeds over that spot so that maybe with the it... California drought going on right now in this 105 degree no, but heat. there's like there's like drought tolerance really? okay, okay, okay I'm gonna do this yeah, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this okay yes and then and then you could be like look at them look at the amazing flowers that grew from these flowers that you gave mommy that's so nice I like all these ideas yeah, <laughs> yeah this is that that's what we just did right now is exactly my job you well know? thank you so much Tyler, for being here so you've got everything that she needed yeah, totally. <laughs> you just play off uh play off the emotions and see where you end up with yeah there's not always the right answer there's not always one answer so that makes total sense um well so my next question kind of kind of going off the idea of the emotional attachment that people have to their things um how do you help your clients to change their relationship with stuff so the people that do have that emotional attachment they don't want to get rid of things because it has so much personal meaning to them for whatever reason how do you help them then reframe their their relationship with their things it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before um it just depends on the client um and the reason why they're attached to that specific item and if why they're holding on i've had few different experiences one where uh a family called me because they wanted to downsize they lived in a huge house and then their children were out of the house um 10 years prior their one of their sons had passed away unexpectedly and um that son's room was left exactly the way it was and when we started the whole process of trying to declutter and edit and purge she she wasn't ready Mm -hmm. and um I didn't push it I didn't hear from them Uh, I'm not sure what happened uh but it a lot of it has to do with uh, being ready. If you're, if they're not ready, it's really hard for me to do my job, and and uh, I can't really, obviously, force people to get rid of things that mean so much to them. I can help yeah. them, but I can't force them. Yeah, I could see how if somebody's not ready, then they're not going to let go of their stuff. Right. One of the articles that uh, that we were looking at and was talking about. Um, that typically, like, clients that you might be working with kind of fall into three different categories, and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are about this, if this is your experience. Um, They call it 
transitionally tranced. So basically that every object they have or all the things that they're holding onto are affiliated with some sort of transition for them. So, so it assigns a meaning to it. Another one was sentimentally stalled. So um, everything has a sentiment attached to it or a feeling attached to it. And the last one was uh, future flummoxed. So everything was, but I might use this later, or maybe I'll fit into these clothes later, or there might be some use for this down the road. Uh, do, do you see, does that kind of fit in with your experience, Tanya? Oh, absolutely. Especially the last one. Mm. Um, other than uh, clients being attached to items or things that are sentimental, like the example I gave of losing someone and having whatever it might be, uh, the most common issue I have is, oh, I'm going to fit into those jeans. Oh, I have One to day. keep that dress. And uh, I might be honestly, that. I don't understand that. For so many reasons. We all know, and, and I try to explain it to them being nicer than I just sounded right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, once you're able to wear that dress or that pair of jeans, it's not going to, it's not a time machine. It's not going to bring that back that time. It's not going to necessarily bring back that feeling. I think people are kind of hard on themselves. Um, yeah. Even if the, if you lose weight and the article of clothing fits you, it's not going to fit you the same. Like, we all know that. And when you do lose weight and you feel better, you're going to want to go shop. So holding on to stuff like that um, just doesn't really make sense. And I try to paint that picture and, and let them get excited about what's to come, you know, instead of holding on to what was because you're not going to get anywhere with that kind of mentality. <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, and I actually <laughs> love that because a lot of the articles that we've been researching kind of talk about how objects that we keep or things that we hold on to um, represent what we hope we are, who we hope we are, or how we want to represent ourselves to people, how we want to show ourselves to people. So holding on to those like size double zero jeans or whatever from your like teens or 20s, that's who you want to show the world that you are when in fact you're like a mom and in yoga pants and you know taking care of your business or whatever you're doing and it's really interesting that we hold on to these things that we're trying to I don't know I've always looked at it and and this has come naturally to me so maybe this is why I ended up in the industry that I'm in you're still that person you might even be better than that person that you way better yeah um I don't want to be 20 again I was not I was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's such um, a good point. And to just highlight like, like, yeah. the positive changes that you've Absolutely. made since then. People yeah. forget to... I feel like people live in the past and they think about the future, but they don't remember to live in the moment. And and we, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this, but it's a scientific fact. We all know, you guys know mm-hmm. too, clutter causes stress. And, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize that that's why they're, that's not the only reason why people are stressed out, but it doesn't help, especially if you're, you know, going through a transition instead of holding on to things, you know, getting rid of things is so liberating. I try to let my clients see that before they actually feel it because they won't, some are resistant to let go. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the articles that we read just basically <laughs> we said, read a lot of articles. We, clearly. <laughs> we did, uh, said it was a study done by UCLA's Center on Everyday Lives of Families and it basically said exactly what you said, Tanya, that the amount of stress we experience at home is directly proportional to the amount of stuff that we and our families have accumulated. So it that makes total sense to me. I mean, think about it. The stuff that you have lying around, first of all, blocks you from where you want to get, get mm-hmm. to. Half the time, you don't even know the items that you have in the house, and you just keep accumulating more because you think you're, you ran out or... 
Yeah. You know, and it's definitely, and I don't know, to me, maybe I'm biased because it's the industry I'm in, but it's, it's stressful, Definitely, you know? I mean, I just think about like the spaces that I spend the most time in. And for me, it would be my house and my office. And you might not believe it based on the the (laughs) appearance of my office now, but my office is, it's pretty minimalist. It's very organized and neat. It's everything that I wish my house was at home. Um, And when I come to my office, I feel very at peace. I feel very relaxed. I feel really good. Um, And Um, for having a kid, your house is pretty (laughs) obvious. It's hard to be honest. You're doing okay, Jess. You're doing okay. I mean, I I, I think it's fine, but I... Just wait until she gets older and knows where every single item of... I don't know, a toy that she has, and then, then it's not there, and they ask for it, and you're like, what do you mean? You couldn't even tell me what you did at school today. I like, know. how do you know where? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know. It's, you know, but I know it could be worse, but what I'm saying is that I can already see a difference in how I feel when I step into my office versus right. when I'm at home, just based on the amount of stuff that's around me. I so mean, think about sense. think about spas, like how minimal they are. Oh. You know, they don't have a lot of stuff. My happy place. Yeah. Okay. Last time I went to a spa, I was so irked. So total sidetrack because they they were overbooked and they stuck me in the chiropractor's office. See? Overbooked because the, of clutter. Yeah. The day <laughs> exactly <laughs> they were cluttered by people. Um, it was like a day they had overbooked and they stuck me in the chiropractor's office the day that like he wasn't working or right. whatever. And it had like all these um medical posters up. Oh. And it was and it was noisy. It was like right under the stairwell. I, it was right. just horrible. But like. When I first walked in, before I realized how noisy it was, that's the first thing I noticed, all the medical posters, and mm-hmm. it, like, didn't make sense in my head. Makes it hard to get into the zone and I, the mentality. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I was like, what kind of, like, medical experience are they going to try on me? But, um... It was visual clutter. It, it yeah. was visual. It was very uncomfortable, and it was much later when I made a comment about all the noise. She was like, sorry, this is the, you know, chiropractor's office, when I realized, like, oh, this isn't set up for a spa, mm-hmm. which you just touched up on. Like, yeah, it didn't. It was not soothing at all. Mm. So it's interesting that you said that, because they, the way they decorate, oh, yeah. or the way they have things set up is meant to Definitely. elicit different responses in you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned in a couple other podcasts that we've done that, uh, massages and spas were like my go-to self-care and that's definitely like if I go to a new place or if I'm going to a place for the first time like I definitely notice what it looks like or the feel or the vibe that Mm -hmm. I'm getting it makes a huge impact in how relaxed I am or the mentality that I'm in when I'm about to sit down and get a massage so I think I think you touched on something important there can we just stop now are the spas open this late I don't think so Uh, (laughs) probably not so rosé we'll just have to do for now rosé is fine yeah out of red solo cups. Right. <laughs> Very classy. Because we're classy like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have a personal, another personal question. You're just here to answer my questions. Okay. I'll so, bill you later. <laughs> bill me later. Um, okay. So the idea of possessing things is grasped by children at the age of two. And by six years old, they exhibit the endowment effect. Which is? Um, placing extra value on something only because it's theirs. So something is more valuable because they own it. The idea of the little kids. kids going, mine, mine, that's exactly. mine, don't touch. Yeah. And starts at what age? Six. Around. It starts early. <laughs> well, I think that's probably when it's like cemented it's, in. It's okay, like there. Yeah. yeah. And um, so most children usually have like a really intense relationship with a specific attachment object. Mm. And what happens is that when people that practice attachment parenting – and they allow their children to co-sleep, and they feed on demand, which is all things I do. 
generally those children don't have attachment objects. So in like societies like like in Tokyo or where it's more common for children to co-sleep, um, children don't have as much attachment as much of a attachment to objects. They don't have transitional objects compared to like more Western society. Compared and, to children yeah. in New York, let's say exactly. where. Yeah. I felt like this with my older dog, but I didn't co-sleep. I didn't like. I don't know. She was a great sleeper. I'm I'm paying it for it for it with my second one, but um, <sighs> she never had that attachment object. Not, she was not attached to anything, except mm. me for the first two years. <laughs> but she, now she's very confident and secure. And but she but the first two years uh, I was her security blanket. Okay. So I, I don't See, know. I feel I feel like that's kind of me too because my daughter never really. I mean, we didn't we didn't co sleep really, and she she has a lot of attachment to a lot of her stuff. She has like several favorite stuffed animals, several favorite princess right. little you know little people dolls. My daughter but, went through phases, but mm-hmm. it was never it was I, it wasn't what I've seen other kids right. where like they can't function if they don't have right, their right. item. Yeah, or, that's, that's like the same as um, my daughter, and she constantly changed what her favorites were you yeah know? that's so. sort of like the same as me and then I uh, and it's funny that you said you f- kind of felt like you were her attachment item because I kind of feel like that too and like my husband my family will always make comments about like she's so attached to you and she oh, always wants God. to be like attached like, that's to you that's such a horrible you, thing you made her oh that way I hear uh, that okay. all the time uh-huh. yeah so I, I can definitely relate to that yeah. Oh, it's so horrible that there's a secure attachment between a parent and child right. how dare you how dare <laughs> somebody call CPS I'm, I'm calling right now after, yeah. the, after we're done recording. Yeah. So here's my question. I did both those things. I fed on demand. I co-slept. I did all that with both of them. And they both have an attachment object. And it's this nasty, dirty, disgusting blanket. The same. They both have the same they one? Both, okay. So my older one, when he was a baby, somebody brought him the baby giraffe. Or maybe I bought it. I don't know. We ended up with a baby giraffe blanket. Mm-hmm. And that turned into his, like, little attachment slash transitional object, whatever you want to call it. Um, Is he still attached to it? So now he only sleeps with it. He'll look for it at night, but he doesn't need it with him all the time. He's almost six. He'll be six in a couple of months. But um, I thought it was so stinking cute at that time. Mm -hmm. I bought my little one the same blanket but a different color. And now he's attached to it, but, like times a thousand like he will look for it he wants it he'll and he's a thumb sucker he like came out of me that way um I was a thumb sucker (laughs) yeah so he has to have this blanket like in his hand with his thumb in his mouth and it's just so interesting because as a parent you're reading all these you know articles or you're doing all your research like what's wrong with my kid and I did all that. I checked yeah. up all the boxes. I co-slept and I did all this and he still has a nasty blanket. My mm-hmm. my thought, and I mean, I'm Tanya, I'm curious to hear what mm-hmm. you think, but like just as a therapist and as a mom, like my thought is that that just kind of speaks to the fact that like there's no boxes to check. There's, exactly. there's you know, like no. The, yeah. Exactly. You know, the, it's all a lie. It's all, <laughs> not that it's all a lie, but that like nothing, fe- nothing fits neatly into a box like that. Right. And, like, every situation, every kid, every parenting situation is always so different. Okay. So another, another thing, there's, there's a study that the kids were, were shown an item and they grew attached to this item. Like they, you know, they played with the item or whatever. And they were, um, the researcher said, okay, you can take this item home. And they were excited. But another group, they said, well, we'll make a copy of this item or we'll give you another item similar to this, like Mm -hmm. the exact same thing, but not this. And the response that they got was of um, horror, like legit horror, like kids were screaming and crying to the point where some kids were like, oh, no, we don't want it. Or 
they wanted that original object. But I don't think they see. I don't know if they truly process that concept. Um, yeah. I don't know. With kids, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> Kid, yeah. Being a mom is hard regardless. You can analyze every single thing they say and do uh, and drive yourself nuts. But everything's temporary. I Honestly, that I wouldn't worry too much. Yeah. Um, and, and even the study that, that the kids didn't want a, a, a different one. I know so many parents that have like multiples of the same blanket and they just yeah. alternate and the mm-hmm. kid is fine with it. So just because you don't fit into like one box or one explanation, it, it's yeah. fine. It's just a, it's just an object. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I thought uh, having two girls and um, having a really easy experience with my older one, I was like, oh, I got this. My yeah. second one was going to be easy. I knew how to get the kid to sleep because I didn't sleep train my first. I just kind of had a routine and she just would, was amazing. Um, I started, you know, I'm an overly cautious parent to begin with and I thought everything would be the same. Complete opposite kids. No, and I, it's same parents, yeah. mm-hmm. same, same family, gender. same gender. Mm-hmm. I know exactly. so many people that had that experience. And uh, my, my older one didn't go to anybody but me, my identical twin sister, or my uh, husband for mm-hmm. two years. This little one <laughs> couldn't care less was holding her, you know? And I'm just as cautious and just as careful going back to, oh, you made her that way or you did this, you know? It's just, you can't, yeah. you can't, they don't fit into boxes. Yeah. Well, so this, ugh, where was I going with this? Okay, so it's interesting that when, when kids develop this attachment to objects and give it this magical meaning that something has is more unique or more valuable because it's theirs. Because at some point we tra- we can we carry this on into our adulthood, and um, this form of magical thinking reappears um, in the form of things like family heirlooms or art or memorabilia, and it kind of becomes more of like this. Um, I keep saying magical, but more unique, more special, more valuable, just because it's an heirloom or just because it's an art piece or it's a memorabilia and we develop that same attachment that we did in our childhood with these little toys or whatever a rock that we picked up off the floor and we're calling it a dinosaur rock which my kids do um (laughs) and it it has the same amount of value and it's really like what do you do with that because that's in our head we're giving it that value we're we're placing the meaning onto that object i don't know the way i look at it is I used to be attached to stuff too, even though I've always, I've never needed a lot. Like I've never, um, from day one, I've naturally been like, like to live a clutter free lifestyle. Yeah. But before having kids, this is going back to that first question. Yeah. Uh, I used to be attached to stuff and then, I don't know, something happened and this is right around the time where I started my business also. I mean, really, ultimately, like I know it's hard to, and again, cliche, but hard to visualize if there was a fire and that heirloom got like burned down or right. ruined, you'd be sad. Mm-hmm. But like, what matters? You know, it's so simple and cliche, but yeah. that's how I. That's how you really do. I mean, having kids really puts you into that perspective. Like, you just get your kids out. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why we do that. Yeah. I feel like kids are like that. <laughs> this sounds so mean. I, I kids are awesome and amazing. But <laughs> I've noticed that they're very self-centered. It's like, yeah. Uh, they'll like my daughter gets so upset when somebody ruins her toy but then she'll walk over someone else knock someone else's toy and she doesn't even realize she did it you know um i feel like eventually they learn and we learn as adults but to 
maybe some don't learn that well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't to go back to what you said. I don't know why we hold on to. Well, it's interesting that you gave that example of like if all your stuff burns down in a fire. Because I think in in one of the articles that we have, <laughs> um, they give the example. And I didn't read what? these articles. No. <laughs> It just shows that you're you're in touch with what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but in one of the articles, it talks about that a lot of people express more grief and loss over the loss of their physical stuff when something like a fire happens versus the headache of, like, the financial loss or, like, you know, ha- the headache of having to try to find a new place that people express having more grief over losing their physical stuff. Yeah, I think that's where I'm really weird because I'd be like, woo, we'll start fresh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> start new and hopefully I can, I can see how it can be devastating if you are not protected. Um, but if you are, you know, insured and have – or if you have ways to – just uh, build again, then you start new, man. <laughs> yeah. Start clean and it's change, yeah. you know? I, I can yeah. totally see why you're good at your job. Definitely. Because I can see somebody coming to you and saying, like, but I want to hold on to this old sock. And you're going to be like, no. <laughs> no, what are you going to do with that old sock? No, no. You know, I think it's also, um, I have to I have to give a little credit to my mom um, she kind of was, was like this growing up and I, I, I watched her be like this. I'm worse than her now. Sometimes I'm like, dude, why are you keeping that? You know? <laughs> so I don't know if, if things change, maybe sometimes when you get like, she's getting older and maybe more sentimental. I don't know. So she still is the, she still is a pretty minimal person and loves to throw away sh- uh, stuff, especially my father's stuff. So, <laughs> um, but I did definitely have her as a model. So I don't know if it's, Genetic. Well, I was going to ask about that because I imagine that so much of how we view our tangible things is modeled from what we see from our parents growing up. Either you learn to do the same thing as your parents or you see how they have a relationship with stuff and then you cognitively choose to do things differently. Kind of like what we've talked about in terms of parenting. Like yeah. you, you see how your parents parent and then you either... You either emulate what they do or you make a cognitive decision to do it differently. So that that makes a lot of yeah. sense that you say that you she know. was a little bored. Like she was a little she would throw away a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I, I, I remember getting a little older and like friends having somewhere their baby blanket stored and like one blanket. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally OK with that. I'm not going to be crazy and, you know, make a client get rid of everything. And she would just get rid of everything. Like we have nothing <laughs> from our childhood. Nothing. That's like my mom. <laughs> uh, you know, nothing. Zero. Yeah. And I thought that was a little extreme. So I've definitely done things the way she has. But I've also learned from what, you know, try to. Isn't that the whole point of like procreating to yeah. to know to better and you do better Definitely. type thing, um, which they take offense to, but that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, I think it has to do with just the way I grew up. Also, question: Have you worked with families that have teenagers? Yes, actually, I have. And how do you feel the teenagers' relationship to stuff mm. is? It just depends. <laughs> It depends on their relationship with their mother, I feel like. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I really um, like that answer. You know, teenage girls suck. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it sucked being a teenager. Yeah. Girl, so I could imagine. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I It was not, well, I don't want to go back to that time. But I think if like a parent, and again, it's, this is just, I don't know if I'm touching on the right things because I obviously don't know like the psychology behind it. But if moms were forcing, de- you know, someone to declutter or what, the, the, 
the teenage girl is going to resist, 100%. Um, like rebel almost? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it just, it also depends, it, it depends on the teenager too. Some ki- It's very rare, but I have come across uh, teenagers that are extremely confident. Like I was not a confident teenager. I think that came later. Um, but uh, the confident teenagers, they're easier to work with, shockingly. They're yeah. not as resistant. It's the it's the more, in, I don't want to say insecure because I don't want to you know no label, I, uh, no no I think you're you're right you're right on the dot because um, they say materialism actually peaks when you're a teenager because that's a time when your self esteem is at the lowest yeah and you hold on to things and your possessions reflect um, who you are or how you want the world to see you um, so you hold on to things that probably your parents are telling you to throw away exactly so you're right on yeah that total your experience is right on point well so i guess just talking to you what comes out is that there's a correlation between self-esteem and in in the teenagers and their relationship to things well and going back to the the teenage uh attachment with stuff i think you know serene you were talking about that it it is directly tied to self-esteem and your self-image and how you Mm -hmm. view yourself. And I think especially, uh, Tanya, you brought up teenage girls. I think that's reflected in, um, you know, like sharing of clothes, sharing that's in a way it's almost like their way of sharing their identity with their friends. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, with, with, with guys, maybe like younger guys, but like sharing, like trading baseball cards, sharing, you know, like tangible objects that you share with your friends, um, is almost a way of like solidifying that friendship or being able to, to make connections with people by taking objects and externalizing it as like a part of yourself. Yeah. I think, I think we live in like a, in a, in a time where we're constantly, constantly being uh, told what to buy, what we have. Um, You know, obviously social media now has a lot to do with showing what you have. So sometimes it's hard to let go, uh, especially for younger. um, I'm so glad there was no social media when I was in school. Oh, I always say that. Um, But I I think that has a lot to do with it. Like, that's where the problem starts. And it could be a way bigger problem in the future for these kids as adults as it is for for us now. I imagine um, it will be. I mean... I don't see another way. Yeah. Um, I'll be employed for a while. Hopefully. <laughs> and so will we. <laughs> well, exactly. And, well, and, and it's funny that I'm glad you brought up social media because I had been thinking a lot about social media around this topic. And I wonder if, if it's twofold um, that it, it, that it both, it both is negative and positive negative in the sense of what you said that um, in, in a way sort of promotes materialism, showing people all the things that you have, uh-huh. um, influencers and then, Absolutely. you know, and then like saying, having like, a career of showing people what you have. Exactly. Not, and then everybody yeah. needs to have that thing that you have. Um, but then also yeah. on the flip side, I wonder if in some ways experiences are going to become more important than stuff because going to a place or experiencing a beautiful scenery, um, going out and being in nature in the world um, is very, it's very Instagrammable. It's in. in. Um, But you know, that's great. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. And so I I just wonder how much each of those sides of the coin are going to be influencing what our kids are going to have to deal with. There has been somewhat of a, like a minimalist movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll find all these accounts Mm -hmm. on Instagram um, showing how nice it is to just live a minimal lifestyle and to, you know, as real, I, I, I don't, I can't even, for being a professional organizer and an interior stylist, I, 
I I don't even live that lifestyle. It's hard having kids. I was going to say, especially I, with kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at, like, they just look at you and you're like, okay, fine. But I do try to... <laughs> I do try to teach my older one at least. Let's, you know, spend our money on uh, experiences. And, and I don't know how much she gets it, but, uh, you know, she'll tell my, my mom who, you know, grandparents are the worst. Yes. Comes with a new toy every day. Like, don't buy me a new toy. We're going we're gonna go to we're gonna go to Disneyland, you know. And I, I'd, rather her, I'd rather do that kind of stuff with her because that's what you remember, not the 700 horses that she has at home. Right. She's not going to remember how many, you know. <laughs> she'll know if one's missing now, but I'm just saying. That's yeah. a... Yeah, right. And, and, and we try to... Um, I think it's starting the habit young. Every I try really hard, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Every time a new item comes in, one goes out. And I like that policy. We don't toss it away. We don't throw it away unless it's in bad shape. Um, but I have a box in the garage, and I put it in there, and then we donate it whenever we can. Um, I, she's a little young too, but I want to start taking her to these places with me. So she gets the concept, but it just, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle and it's work and I'm not even perfect at it, you know? So, yeah. So how important, cause you guys were talking a little bit about back, back to going to the whole Instagram phase right now. How important do you think that is right now and how people are using that to kind of like show the stuff they have and show it in terms of like, like their status? I don't know, but uh, I don't know. Let's figure that. Uh, let's play yeah, on, yeah. play on that because um, I even get suckered into it. It's hard not to. You see something. It's right. visual. It's right. exciting, and but I've I don't know. For me, every time I get excited, and I and I and it's so easy to buy now. Like you just click, click, and it's at your door. Yeah. You know, it's not as simple as like finding it, tr- tracking it, uh, going to pick it up. Uh, nobody needs to do that anymore. So it, you get it's so easy to have just accumulate so much stuff i mean because i just felt like the conversation was going in a way that supported everything that we had kind of seen through our research that um the objects that people save or hoard or not hoard in the clinical term but hold on to kind of show who they are do you find that do you find that coming up in your business or do you find that something that's challenging to a hundred percent, especially with, um, you know, with the, the influencers, you know, my husband is in the retail industry and, and they don't even advertise anymore. And they use these influencers to sell. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and he's just, he, he just talks about who you don't, I don't even know who these people are and they just show up, get free things and, and it's a career and it, they make it seem so easy and then they're getting stuff like who isn't going to want to be like that, you know, yeah, it just, right. it's, but it's not, that's, it's not, obviously we know that it's not as it seems, you know? But uh, I think, like, I had a client, a family, who were financially really well off and they could afford it, but they had, they hired me because the wife's closet was, like, going... It was like a tornado? Yeah, nothing, it was not functioning whatsoever, and we got rid of, like, half of her stuff, and the closet was still too small for everything that she had, and, and she couldn't let go, but it's, like... She had to have everything new, and and I don't and I don't know this. I don't know why. <laughs> I I can't. For me, it's sometimes hard to pinpoint why because I, you know, I'm with them a short amount of time. Sometimes it's really clear and obvious, and it's like right. you can figure it out. But um, you guys are just helping me like evolve. <laughs> You're be like, let's talk about your transitional object yes. when you were six years old. <laughs> when did this <laughs> obsession begin? Exactly. <laughs> um. So a couple more questions for you before we before we wrap up uh, our discussion. 
Um, something I'm curious about is what are, if, if you've even noticed, are there specific things that people tend to have the hardest time letting go of? Or do you, or do you notice any specific items that tend to be the, the big ticket items that people don't want to let go of when they're trying to minimalize? Um, I, well, I have to say that majority, so it's more clear, majority of my clients have been women. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before, shockingly, it's clothes that don't fit them, <laughs> you know? Um, we, I, you know, again, uh, we live in LA. We put a lot of emphasis on our looks, the uh, our weight. Um, so they, they hold on to what was or what can be. And, you know, I've had a lot of clients buy something that they have never worn with the hopes that they're going to fit in it. Like, I don't oh, understand wow. Wow. that concept, you know? Um I don't know. Some people may be motivated, but it's short term. Like there's no, don't right. buy something that doesn't fit you. Just don't do it. You know? <laughs> okay. I have a confession. So <laughs> oh God, no. I have, I have a suitcase full of clothes from like before kids. So they're super, they wouldn't fit me now. Um, but it's like the ni- the nicer things mm-hmm. and why I'm holding on to it. And I, uh, I hate them. saying this. No, no, no. I don't, <laughs> I know I'm not going to fit in it, I'm just kidding. but my friend in high school, um, her mom saved everything. Uh-huh. So when we had like Halloween or like seventies night or whatever, she had all her mom's clothes to wear and it was like so cool. It was so like vintage. That's and awesome. so in my head I was like, well, if I have a girl, and she happens to be my size, and she's in high school, and they have, like, a 90s night, or 90s, no, like, early 2000s right. like, party, there'll be, like, a, I'll have, like, something for that's her a, to wear. Yeah. And, that's, that's, like, I have, I have my mom's old uh, sorority shirt. See? Um, I don't fit into it now, but, like, in college, I used to wear it all the time, and I was, like, this was is so super cool, cool and vintage. so cool, because it's vintage, yeah. and I was, like, I should save things so that my daughter could have it in the exactly. future. Exactly, but I ended up yeah. with two boys, and now I'm, like, okay, So you're not ahead. ready to let go, not because of that, for other reasons, for, not because you're going to give it to somebody, it's for other reasons. Well, I, I feel like I might have, like, another child, and it might be a there girl, you <laughs> and, you know... Well, I don't know. You're talking to somebody that sold her wedding dress. So um... <laughs> so my final question for you, Tanya, um, what advice would you give to people who are looking to downsize or change their relationship with their stuff or are struggling to let go of things? So first, I, I said this before, you definitely have to be ready for some change. <laughs> uh, depending on what kind of change, you know, I always say progress, not perfection. And I think that just the best way to start any um, any project to downsize. And again, it all depends on the family, the why they're downsizing, where they're downsizing, and uh, the person too. So it's hard to have an exact answer. Yeah. But progress, not perfection, is always my It's a good motto. mantra. <laughs> yeah. So Tanya, it's sounding like you're saying, first of all, that every situation is a little bit different, but in general, you have like your general mantra of what you tell people. Um, what you would tell people if they want to declutter. Um, And it sounds like just recapping our entire conversation, you would tell them to kind of set some boundaries, which it sounds like you've done emotionally in terms of letting go of the emotional attachment to stuff, Um, letting go of the past, and just trusting in the future that things will be okay. Okay, a lot of the times when I start working with clients, when they start trusting me, we'll finish a project, and then like two weeks later, they'll realize how amazing their life is that they'll call me and we'll be able to make even more progress because 
you know, they realize, as I said, progress, not perfection, baby steps. And then once they realize the, the actual effect of what I do, I usually get calls back. So they do like 20% of the work on the first round and they're, they're like, this is great. We're going to do more. So they exactly. call you for more. In the beginning, it's a lot of like handholding and talking, <laughs> getting yeah. through um, certain things and they have a hard time letting go. But then when they realize, you know, the, the new, how, how the new system in their life helps them function and, you know, it, it's a domino effect. It affects uh, them at home, at work, to be on time sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, I get calls back. It's kind of like therapy. When a client comes in the first couple of times, they're like treading the waters, they're testing it out, and then they're like, we liked the work we did. We're going to come back Once they start seeing some progress, then it like gets the ball rolling and then they they feel good. Exactly. And people think like professional organizer, like what the heck does this woman do? Are you, do you clean? No, no, I don't clean. And then, you know, you think, okay, it's kind of the clientele that I usually get initially is more it's it's more of a this is not a necessity it's more of a like a luxury Mm -hmm. so uh but they don't realize that they actually end up saving so much money and then like the fee that they end up paying me they end up saving money because I end up usually selling things for them that they're not using so they make money like that and then they realize what they have and they use and they're not buying extra and it's it really is life-changing yeah I can imagine Wait, so you, you, like, get their things that they don't use and you sell it for them? If it's sellable, of yeah. course. Like, mm-hmm. um, if they have a piece of furniture that moved from them from the apartment, but it doesn't really go with their things and it's just sitting there, like, I, they don't want to let go or just give it away. There's, you know, nowadays there's so many apps and, and ways to... And it's so good for the environment, too, if, you know, you realize to... You're recycling. Exactly. Oh, there's so many... Great. I mean, I can keep going, but again, that's a different podcasts <laughs> no that that's that's i hadn't even thought about that yeah. i just thought you'd like donate things or throw it out but you're actually like making yeah, use of it they could like with that money they can buy a new couch absolutely or, or they pay my fee or yeah. um or they can even donate it and make a difference in someone else's life like it's right it, there's so many benefits to it uh it's hard to see in the beginning but once they see the light they always come back <laughs> That's so great. So you're helping people to not only feel better about themselves, but improve their life in general. And yeah. I'm sure people do feel much better after decluttering and changing the relationship with their stuff. Absolutely. Tanya, thank you so much for being here. This was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, we're um, all going to go home and declutter now. I know. Now I feel so inspired <laughs> yes. that I just want to like get rid of everything <laughs> except for all the princess dolls in the living room that are that have to stay there. Otherwise, we'll have a tantrum. <laughs> um, so if our listeners want to find you, how can they do that? Uh, well, my website is sos-interiors.com and you can find my Instagram and email and contact information there. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Um, And if you want to contact us, if you have any thoughts about this episode or any stories you want to share about your relationship with stuff, you can email us at isitbedtimeyetpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at isitbedtimeyetpodcast with underscores between each of the words. And we're on Facebook at isitbedtimeyetpodcast. And for now, this is Dr. Jen and Dr. Serene asking, is it bedtime yet?